Welcome to episode seven of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Pat Williams from AHL.com. Set here to talk about a lot of topics around the AHL. We'll get into our prospect of the week, our team of the week, and some other fun stuff. Uh, but first, before we get started, Pat, how are we doing today? Good. Uh, we're definitely in the swing of things uh, with the, uh, the hockey season now. Um, about a quarter of the way, give or take, uh, through the season. So now you, you are starting to see some some themes and trends start to, to play out and um, get a little bit better sense now of, of exactly what we're dealing with uh, this season. And with bigger sample sizes comes, you know, teams getting a longer look at prospects. And with that, more of an idea of what they have and who to call up in the case of an emergency. And on Tuesday night, the Chicago Blackhawks had one of those situations where when Jonathan Taves, our captain, woke up with flu-like symptoms, they very quickly realized they needed a forward. And so in turn, Lucas Reichel, 2020 first-round pick, one of the top prospects, flew, uh, had to fly over from, from Rockford that morning. Uh, I think yeah, I read that he said he didn't even have lunch or anything. He had like a granola bar or whatever. Didn't seem to affect him too bad. Came out on the ice, played on a, on a line with Jason Dickinson and Taylor Radish, logged 14 minutes, um, including a minute and 15 on the power play, actually. Super quick call-up, and then Wednesday morning, he gets sent back down right away. Interesting kind of situation, and I should note that recently, like, I wouldn't say I'm surprised by Reichel being called up at all. He's by far been Rockford's best player. He's got nine points in the last five games. And in that span, he's logged a 55% course and expected goals for percentage. That stat is brought to you by Instat as well. I think where I'm surprised is seeing him get sent down the next day. I'm conflicted what I think about it because in the preseason, Pat, he never got a chance with Patty Kane. He was playing predominantly with players like, you know, Kurashev, Kachuk, Sakura. Never got that chance. When he was brought up, sure, he got power play time, but he didn't get time with Kane, which I thought would have been a natural fit. And now he's back down in Rockford. So I'm, I'll turn it over to you, but it's just an interesting situation for it to be such a quick elevator move there. Yeah. Um, it's one of those, one of those calls where, you know, you can, you picture behind the scenes, just how hectic that is for everyone, you know, from, from him, the player himself to um, all the people in the front office that have to actually make that happen um, in terms of the logistics and getting a player from, from Rockford to New Jersey and, you know, having them show up in some semblance of order ready to play. So um, it, it's a crazy day for everybody. Uh, you know, I'll say this for, you know, for sending them back down, I think the idea is just so Rockford plays Wednesday night. Uh, it's another chance to play, right. And um, get back down there and play another game. And, uh, you know, I think at this stage of his career, you just want him on the ice as much as possible. And, you know, he's, He's obviously, he's got the motor. Um, he can certainly handle that workload. And um, it's he, either he goes back up uh, afterwards or he stays and they have a busy weekend. So either way, he's getting uh, good competition, good minutes. Um, so I, I don't see, uh, I don't see a downside either way. The 20 year old forward has recorded 23 points in 19 games this year. His 1.21 points per game is the first amongst all under 22 forwards that have played a minimum of 10 games. You know, I've said it before on the podcast, but for my money, in terms of raw scale, I think Reichel's zone entry, passing ability, skating ability with the puck is, you know, some of the best you could really ask for, really, in terms of raw, pure talent. But further to what you said, 
a lot of it is still but playing a lot and he's still in the de- developmental stage. I'll, I will point out that on November 2nd, uh, ISOG's head coach, Anders Sorensen, he called out Reichel like straight up uh, after a school game. He said that he took a couple steps back in terms of his compete level, which he you know was improving on. He was a minus four that game. I think that definitely was an eye-opening quote, and I think it was it wasn't done blindly. It was done with merit and purpose. And Reichel's responded. Now the question is: Is there a benefit to having Reichel up with the big club when it's let's call a spade a spade? It's a lost season in Chicago. Are there benefits to that? If if that if he continues playing this way, Pat, are there benefits to him going up there and trying to duke it out in the middle six? I think, I mean, think anytime you can play the NHL, you're, you're going to get something from the experience, right? I mean, um, but from Chicago lens, yeah, if nothing else, you, you come away from that experience knowing what you have to work on and knowing that, uh, there is still work to do. And, um, he was an interesting case in training camp because, mm-hmm. you know, I think Chicago could have justified keeping him on the NHL roster. Oh, for um, sure. You know, I, I think certainly the skills there, um, they made the decision that, you know, like you said, it's the rebuilding season and uh, they want him down in Rockford playing heavy 20, 25 minute nights. Uh, they want him being the man in the lineup, um, not being part of, you know, maybe a top nine, like he'd be with the Blackhawks. So um, I think, you know, it's, it's a different management regime, obviously. So um I think they are taking a more patient approach. It's an interesting decision though, because a lot of times there is either kind of a explicit or implicit pressure to, especially right. with a high pick like that, who's, who's played well to very well, get him up to the NHL roster as much as possible. And, you know, for, for all intents and purposes to justify that pick. So, uh, but I think they are maybe taking a longer term view and, um, really trying to smooth out the, the remaining edges of his game that, that need work. And uh, so that when he does go up, he stays up, right? You don't have him on that elevator back and forth. Absolutely. And I think it's worth noting that obviously, as you said, benefits being the NHL, especially with where he is in his age. But if you look at someone like Brad Lambert, where, and this is a different, this is a different case in different circumstances, but the sentiment stands Brad Lambert was a guy that prodigy at 16, you know, he kept going up to the higher level, was playing pro in Finland at 16 to 17. And in turn, his game really, really struggled. He did not, you know, get opportunities to have a lot of puck touches. And, and even with the raw elite skill he has, he really, you know, tumbled and ended up falling to pick 30. And I think while people may think that's a reach, what's that to do with this? I think the point really is there's nothing wrong with being the best at, at, at a lower level, like mm-hmm. especially when you're 20 years old and, and being the guy, as you kind of said. So, you know, I understand Chicago's desire for that. And I mean, December, how many months away are we from them tearing this thing down, trading at anything that can get them a pick or anything that walks, right? Like, I mean, they're going to, it's going to get ugly there um, fairly soon. I would think. Yeah. I think a good rule of thumb is which level can a player play 20 minutes like that? Um, if it's the NHL, great. If it's the AHL, um, that's where he, he needs to be. If it's junior, uh, wh- whatever's going to get him the most possible ice time at the highest possible competition and trying to, trying to marry the two. Um, I think if you can do that, that's a good, generally a good, uh, development formula for a young player. 
I think the worst thing is when you see, you see these um, high picks and they're in the NHL, but they're playing six minutes a night. And they're in the lineup one night. And they're you know sit, sitting off the next night. So um, yeah, I think anything, I mean, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, even confidence is, is fragile. So, um, you know, you, you know, the thing is with these high picks, this is the first time a lot of them have ever faced any sort of adversity or, um, you know, hindrance in their, in their career path, you know, and they have to get over it, that hump. And, um, you want to, you want to set the player up for success as much as possible. So, um, putting him into a situation before he's really completely ready, I think that makes NHL general managers a little squeamish at times. So, um, I think this is, uh, this is probably the right, uh, course of action with him. Let's move on to our prospect of the week, and that is Luke Evangelista of the Milwaukee Admirals, a.k.a. the National Predators Organization. 20-year-old right wing. He's got 17 points in 20 games. He signed for third of under 22 forwards in a primary assist per game with 0.40. Second-round pick of the Predators in 2020. He's coming off a 111-point campaign in the OHL, finishing fourth in that league in scoring. To me, what I think is the most impressive about this player is he, you know, coming off a year where he scored 55 goals known for the heavy shot he has. He started his pro career as more of a distributor. And mm-hmm. that's something that I think is, is interesting, especially when you have an offensive strength, usually it shines, but in, in his situation, I'd like to know what you think about someone like him, maybe struggling to get into the slot area of the ice. And maybe that's a product of him straight on the perimeter a bit too much. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, he's he's got decent size, right? But um, there's obviously a huge leap from junior to to the AHL. Now you're you're playing defensemen that they've played in the NHL before. Um, they're 25, 26 years old. They're filled out. They're they are what they are. Um, you know, I think also too, there's a confidence level that just comes and just getting a little bit more uh, self assured and, and secure and. and willing to take those, those chances, but, um, you know, he's part of a great forward core there in Milwaukee. Um, you know, you have Igor Fonaseev, uh, you have Marcus Nermi who came over from, uh, from Europe, uh, in the off season, Philip Tomasino, uh, right on down the list. So it's a very typical Nashville setup with Milwaukee. I mean, that, that, that affiliation has been pumping out players for 20 years. I mean, everyone from, you know, Pecorine to Shea Weber to Philip Forsberg. I mean, if you look at the National Predators, you know, the alumni list that came through Milwaukee is, is really kind of ridiculous. Um, so uh, they're very patient. I can tell you that uh, with, with their development uh, in Milwaukee, they don't, they don't rush anybody. Um, so, and, you know, obviously that formula has worked pretty well for them for the better part of 20 years. So um, I think with Evangelista, just, uh, you know, there's, He's a quarter of the way into his season. Uh, I think he's still finding his way, but uh, you know, through it all, he's he's obviously still putting up some numbers. And um, I think once he gets a little bit more, you know, that halfway point of the season, I think you'll start to see him use that shot. And um, there's obviously a like lot to like about his game, and um, just looks like another typically good national prospect. I can't say I expected him to be this good so far. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm a little bit surprised. I think not that he was overshadowed or anything um, by Tomasina or, or, or anything like that. But as you said, very impressive crop of forwards in Milwaukee. And, you know, I, I think 
the numbers he's putting up for a first year. Well, actually, sorry, he's not a first year pro, right? He played with Chicago for four. Well, all right, let's figure this out. Is he considered a rookie, Pat? You would know this better than me. He played 14 games in 2020, 2021, the COVID year. Is mm. he a rookie? Not opinion wise. Like, actually, is he a rookie? Yeah, he's technically a rookie. Uh, okay. By league, um, by league rules, um, that 14 games isn't enough. And then also just because of the COVID season. So, yes, he officially qualifies as a rookie. He'll be eligible for the all rookie team. He'll certainly be a good candidate for that. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely a rookie. Okay. So now I know. But yeah, you know, I'm a little bit surprised. Um, how quickly he, he's come onto the scene. It's funny because Na- Nashville, and, and you allude to it a bit, but Nashville, not only do they have this constant, you know, pipeline of players, but they've done a pretty impressive job of, of the development, the churning out some of their guys. I know that Evangelista is a second round pick, still an earlier pick, but their track record after round one is probably one of the most impressive parts about them. And, you know, I think Evangelista is trying towards being that next story there. Yeah, they don't tend to miss on on those prospects, right? Like you don't you don't hear the word bust with Milwaukee and Nashville very often, right? Like um, they they draft well, but they also develop well, and the two have to work in you know concert together. And, um, you know that's where I mean, you know, it, sometimes they think teams get a, get a knock on them for well, that team doesn't draft well. Well, they may draft well, they may just not develop well, right? And, Nashville's one of those teams that does both very well and they have to, right? Like that's, you know, they're not a, a team that's going to throw tons of money around. Um, but uh, they've, they've been able to do that. Even pre-cap, they were doing that uh, early 2000s. Um, so they have a tried and true formula. David Poyle and his staff there in the Nashville front office. And um, I think that's, that's one of the best things I think you can say about a development program is, Two things. They don't they don't have busts, generally speaking. High those, you know, those high first round picks that, that you know fizzle. And they tend to get some of those, you know, mid-range picks up to the NHL as well, right? So um, you know, they 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 have this thing down to a science at this point. Um, and you know, you're looking at like a tenors or not, right? I mean, you know, undrafted player came in, um, kind of made his way through uh, Milwaukee, really slow approach. Uh, and here he is now. He's a big contributor in the, in the national lineup. Uh, and those are the kind of finds that, that really put an NHL team uh, kind of into a different level uh, in terms of um, what they're able to do. And, and if you can hit on some of those, those players, I mean, you're so much further ahead. Let me ask you this then. Is he at a point, Evangelista, where if Nashville needs a forward, do they call him up? We just talked about Lucas Reichel, and I think there's different circumstances in terms of the, the quality of depth in each of these organizations, so forgive me, but and different players. But do you think that he is one of the players next in line to be recalled or, or further seasoning might be needed? Because I know that people like myself can get caught up in, in, in you know flashy point totals. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it depends on, you know, the particular situation, you know, what role do they need filled? But yeah, he would certainly be in the mix. Tommy Novak, uh, kind of a good, well-rounded forward would be. Uh, if you want a little bit of an older player, Kiefer Sherwood, uh, Fonaseev would be in there. Uh, Tomasino would be in there. Um, so they, you know, they kind of have a good um, good range of, you know, different types of players. So if you need a guy that can come up on the fourth line, um, 
play six eight minutes tonight great if you if you want to have somebody that can you know you know maybe step into a top nine role they have those options as well it kind of really does depend on just uh you know what their given need would be in, in that situation let's move on to some interesting news that has happened in the hl and that happened uh, on wednesday and that is logan shaw friend of the show was on uh, mm-hmm. one of the episodes and you know that automatically means you're a friend of the show uh, it's better than saying acquainted to the show it's pretty cold um Logan Shaw has been named the captain of the Toronto Marlies in what is the least surprising news of all time. I mean, come on. You sign the guy to a three-year deal and you're going to give him an A? Like, <laughs> like that'd be pretty nuts. So, no surprise there. Shaw is the prototypical, um, you know, beacon and pinnacle, whatever you want to say it, guy that you want to have in your AHL dressing room. He's played exceptionally well this year for the Marlies, 24 points in 21 games. But that's not why I think that he's someone that deserves to have that seat in his chest. You know, the Marlies take quite a lot of pride in the development. Um, sorry, the Leafs, rather, with the Marlies. Rich Clune, you know, he had big shoes to fill um, before being the captain. And I think Logan Shaw makes a lot of sense for that. And it's a very interesting sort of recognition for a guy that I think is playing a huge, huge role in one of the most lucrative and extensive player development programs that we have in this league. Yeah. And you know, he's going to be there for a while. He signed a three-year deal, which I mean, we, we talked about this, which is absolutely unheard of. Yeah. I signed a three-year HL contract. So, you know, he's going to be there. You know, he's, he's kind of, he's really settled in there. Um, you, you know, You'd think. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, you know, he has, you know, like he, when he was on the show with us, he has his family there. So um, yeah, this is, kind of where he's decided to make his, his home in hockey. And um, he has previous captaincy experience with, with Belleville. He certainly could have been the captain of the moose uh, when he was, uh, when he was with Manitoba. So um, the obvious choice, right? I don't think there was any surprise. I mean, when I got word of that, I was like, yeah, of course, of course he's the captain, right? Like he was already for, for all intents and purposes, kind of the de facto captain you know i mean he's one of those you can stitch a c now on his jersey but he already was i mean so um obvious choice uh high character player still obviously a, a great contributor you know you know in terms of you know performance wise uh and like you said the, the leafs and the marlies kind of one of their most innovative development programs in all of hockey and um they invest so much into that uh operation um so it only stands to reason that you would certainly want to, you know, make, you know, a guy like Logan Shaw, your captain. I mean, that, that's such a, it's a really important role at this level. Uh, oh, for sure. Getting, I mean, you know, young players, you know, to, um, you know, over the hump. Right. And you need kind of a, you know, you can have the wrong veterans and that happens in this league. Um, and if you're not careful, um, you, you can really kind of go, go astray. So, but you can also have the right veterans and he's starting one. And you'd also make a career out of being a right veteran. You know, Mike oh, yeah. Keen, after a thousand games or, you know, almost 1,200 games in the NHL, sorry, um, he had about five years mm-hmm. as the captain of the Moose. And what you're seeing with Shaw in terms of the three year deal, like the term may be sort of unheard of, but, you know, low to mid or sorry, mid to almost above average six figure salaries for veterans it is nothing new and as you said you have to invest in those guys and just for the sake of culture right mm-hmm. you, you can't have you can't have the minor league team becoming the wild wild west kind of you know 
cesspool of of old timers and stuff. You need to have guys that are not only helpful players, but good people, and that can help these young guys as they make that transition to pro. Because it's very difficult, and I'm not even talking about all on the ice. Mm. Like it, it's a very big jump, and that's why that's why not everyone makes it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if you think about it, just you know, it's like anybody, right? Like you're you're coming out of that that kind of that cocoon of junior or college and you know um you know whether you're a hockey player you're you know an accountant or whatever you're you happen to be in life now you're stepping into uh your 20s and there's all the responsibilities that come uh, real life right and players are trying to navigate that and you know you think of players that come up from overseas like all right you know how do i get you know a driver's license how do i get you know a bank account set up all those little things that nobody really thinks about until you have to do it right and you know you language barriers there's all sorts of different sorts of challenges that uh, kind of go under the radar but um you do have to have the right veterans and you have somebody have to have somebody that's a little bit selfless uh, a little bit willing to put their own game their own needs aside in order to help that 20 21 year old prospect somebody who might be taking ice time away from them even um and it takes kind of a special mentality um but you are correct that, you know, if uh, if you're a veteran and you really kind of commit to that, uh, you can make your very good uh, living for yourself. You can certainly extend your career. Um, like you said, the money's you know, great. I mean, this isn't the old, you know, days of, you know, small salaries. So uh, right. you can um, you, you can also set yourself up well post hockey. Right. Like if you're maybe thinking about going into management or coaching or or, you know, somebody like Rich Clune who went into player development. Uh, it really does, I think, set you, you yourself up long term post hockey. I heard, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before, so if I have, my apologies, but I've heard whispers of guys like Logan Shaw um, and other veterans that have bonuses in their contract that have to do with young guys is plus minus. So maybe they're not too mad with guys uh, taking their ice time. Maybe they just want to uh, get a positive on the box score. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, those players are worth their weight in gold. And, you know, um, it's a, it's a huge part of the development um, because you, you, this is a cap league. If you, if you miss on those, those picks, um, that's what gets general managers fired. Right. So, um, you know, having that, that kind of that reinforcement because coaches can only say so much, right. Sometimes it has to come from the players themselves, from the teammates, the big brother kind of uh, role. So, um, it can't always be uh, coach yelling at players, right? You know, so I think a different message really does help um, um, get some of that uh, learning done uh, that young players need. Absolutely. Should we get to our team of the week? Sure. We are going to do the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, I actually, you know, I took in um, a couple games over the weekend uh watch one of them in person against Belleville and it's definitely an interesting so I'll, I'll be honest straight up out, out of the can I, I was surprised that Simeon Dur Argachinsev was recalled. I wouldn't say I'm a, an expert on the Marlies. Um I've watched quite a bit of their games. I follow along with them quite closely. Um and yes SDA has had a good year. Um but I was a bit surprised. I, I thought someone like Alex Steves we'll get to in a second was was a bit more refined in that area. But you know in turn given that he did get the call up, it'd be hard not to mention him. Uh, you know, undersized guy, sort of an enigma in himself where he was this 
not polarizing or controversial, but unique uh, draft pick to say the least, given just the way that he is as a player, where he has his elite quirks and, and little skills. But, you know, you kind of watch when you wonder, can this guy hit the next level? So the fact that he's almost a point per, per game player, good on him um, for, for doing that. And I'm sure, you know, the Leafs are happy given that they recalled him. He played his debut. You know, it's one game, but he wasn't great. Um, I think the issues I have with him persist. He's to me like Simeon Dur Argachensev, who's known as SDA, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot, Pat, is like one of those guys where he's good in transition, okay? But just because someone like when I say good, I mean he's flashy. But just because someone can stick handle in neutral zone and all those things, to me, it doesn't make me think they're gonna be the NHL. You you can't do that unless you're Patrick Kane or or you have good hands. So, you know, it, it's tough for me to really understand because he's one of those guys where it's like you're either the top six or you're not. He like what is he gonna bring to a third or, or fourth line? If you have a middle six construction, then maybe. But yeah, I don't know how how high I'm on, I am on SDA to be honest with you. Yeah, that's always a tough, tough role for those kind of players because, like you said, they do need to be a – they're not a bottom-line type player, right? So yeah. um, if if they can't necessarily cut you know, cut it in that top six, top nine role, uh, they kind of get lost, right? So um, he's, a, he's had an interesting development curve, right? Like he's kind of one of those classic players that got caught up in the pandemic – COVID um, season, right? You know, he, he actually had to go back to the KHL. He, you know, played four years in the OHL, so he's kind of on that path and then had to detour back to the KHL. Uh, got kind of a, a late you know, addition with the Marlies, um, but kind of a, you know, chaotic season, you know, not just for him, but for everybody. Uh, so he really, you know, I think that, 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 I mean, we've discussed that before. That's going to be an interesting issue for a lot of those players in that uh, that that age group, um, seeing how much, if at all, uh, that season um, kind of slowed some of their development. So last year was kind of his really first you know, true pro season. Uh, I thought he did well. He handled it, and um, I do like the fact now he's taken that next step this season. Right, like he's gone from being kind of a, a contributing player to now being one of the main the main weapons on the Marley's lineup. So, um, you know, I, I, I obviously jury still, you know, still out on him, but, um, you know, he's, he's always going to have that size knock against him, but so far so good. Uh, he's just somebody I want to see, um, a little bit longer, see what he can do at the AHL level, um, uh, before you really start thinking of it as, as a possibility with the Leafs. As I said before, the guy I would have thought they would have recalled would be Alex Steves. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of Steves' game, honestly. You know, part of it, I'm sure people will, will wonder, is the fact that he's got 20 points in 21 games. Last year, he had 46 and 58. Yep, he can score in college. The same thing with Notre Dame. But for me, I I don't know. Like he, He's he's a second-year pro. He's 22. He's young. He's got runway to get better. And I think his skating stride is the biggest thing there. And I know this from from people that have watched him that the Leafs really think that they can help him with the mechanics and certain things to make him a better skater, which is fine. And in terms of his future trajectory, mm-hmm. but the player he is now and, and what I saw in preseason, and I know that you gotta be, you gotta be aware of, of September sweethearts as they say, right. You know, it's still preseason, 
But the player that I saw was someone very capable of playing a straightforward, low event kind of game. Um, he has a good shot in the power play. Not that it would be put to use in Toronto. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think that with Steve, it, it, he's one of those guys where, and I think Joby Anderson falls into that same group. You could put him in a fourth line and, and he wouldn't really skip a beat. Mm-hmm. I guess the question would be because the way that SDA was used, he only played seven minutes in his debut, mind you, but he was put it up on the third line. I guess they wanted someone that could could log more minutes, and I think they liked SDA's upside more. But Steve's, I think, could play in a lot of, of teams' fourth line or, or whatnot. He's got to become a better penalty killer. Not that he's not a good one, but he's got to really you know, hone that craft. Uh, he'll never be a top six player, at least in my opinion. Um, he'll be... You know, I think his ceiling would be a really good third line player. And and I think it, with Alex Steves, that's what he could be. So I like a lot of, about his game. And I think, you know, even with that said, with him potentially becoming, you know, a third liner at the, at the max, I still think this signing will go down as one of the best undrafted freedom signings um, the Leafs have had. Now, is it Trevor Moore? No. Is it uh, going to be like the other ones they've had? Like Mason Marchment? For sure not. Tyler Bozak, no. But I think with Steves, what the Leafs did is they found a guy that knew how to play a responsible game at Notre Dame, had all the fundamentals down, and if it all goes well, he'll be a guy that they could fix his skating stride like a marchman and got him to be the player that he looked poised to be. And that's a win, especially in a cap world when you spent zero assets to get him, uh, cap-wise or, or draft pick currency-wise. So, yeah, I- I'm bullish on Steves in terms of a role player. It'll be interesting to see though if that happens in Toronto because that that's that's kind of how it happens with these things. You could be on the cusp of it. You look at Mike E. C. with Winnipeg. He was really buried down the lineup in Ontario. One, one thing led to another, new opportunity, and hey, he he's a top six piece in Winnipeg right now. So you know, opportunity is a big part of it too. But I, I went kind of on a tangent there. But yeah, I'm high on Steve's. Yeah, um, the first word I always hear anybody describing it is just maturity. You're kind of 22 going on 32. Um, in terms of his, you know, his mentality and his, his outlook. And um, I think your point is well taken with skating wise. Uh, I think if there's, if there's one uh, system that can get his skating up to par, it's the Leafs. Uh, they invest so much in terms of that uh, player developments uh, and, and skating coaches. And, um, you know, I think it was a smart move by him to, to sign with the Leafs. Uh, it gave him the best opportunity, I think, to have an NHL future. And I agree with you. Uh, you. You plan him on a fourth line in the NHL. I think you you wouldn't miss a beat. Uh, he's one of those players, very adaptable. Uh, he would fit in well. And um, big, I think a big successful signing uh, already. You know, and at the very least, you're going to have a good call up option. Uh, and if, if there's more there, all the better. I have to say, one guy I was very very wrong about, and I think last year's when I wouldn't say I came like, like with a hammer made a final decision, but one person I kind of wrote off was Mac Hollowell. And I will mm-hmm. say in seeing him play with the Leafs, he looked pretty good and different player than Justin Hall. Don't get me wrong, but for Hollowell, I see him as a guy where, and whether this is in Toronto or not late bloomer that the, the, the Leafs took their time on. And that goes from the ECHL where he played with the Growlers for quite a bit to becoming sort of a, Fifth or sixth D with some upside. With Hall, it, it's it's it was penalty killing. This is kind of skill. Hallwell, I mean, maybe 
but I like him. I, li- I like his game. He plays with a bit of a bite. He can move the puck well. I think he's really, really invested in becoming a better defender. I think people look at the size, say he's five foot nine, and kind of say whatever. But I think if you look at the way that bottom pairing defensemen are evolving, and by that I mean like that they're not meat and potatoes, they're not these sort of they're not Roman Polacks, as Toronto fans will, will know as a reference. I think Hollowell fits into that really well, where he can skate, he can move the puck well, but he plays with a bite. And now the true test will be can he handle guys net front and top competition? board battles and those things don't get me wrong but i think that he kind of has a blend of everything he's an effective player can he move up into your top four now no one day i don't know i know it's a cliche answer but i'll I'll be honest i I was wrong about hollowell i think he does have the potential to be that sixth guy seventh guy i think he's come out this year shot of the cannon in the 11 games he's played this year he's been really really solid Mm -hmm. he deserved this call up like absolutely and I think, you know, for, for the Leafs, it's, it's another situation where, once again, they've kind of developed a call-up option. And, you know, yeah, Hollowell, I, not that he, this is that's a bad thing, but, like, I think that with prospects, people get really excited about them. And then when I come out here and say, oh, he's a call-up option, it's like, you know, kind of like a sad, you put on a sad, like, wah, wah, like, whatever. <laughs> like, that's kind of a letdown. But the reality is, so many of the ones that don't hit, so many of the draft picks that don't hit usually completely leave reorganization. For the Leafs, have they drafted amazing? Probably not. But if you can get some of those fourth, fifth round picks that haven't necessarily quote unquote hit to be serviceable towards the end of their tenures, that that's at least not a total loss. Right? Like what, what are the stats of draft picks becoming players? It's very slim. Mm-hmm. So I mean, even getting some games does help. Yeah, not every pick has to be a home run, right? Like no. you, you can you having serviceable call-ups options is great. Um, and, you know, if, if you can turn, convert a fourth round pick, you know, who was came in undersized defenseman with a lot of question marks and you slowly brought him through the system. I mean, he was in the ECHL to start and um, you brought him up and now you, you've got him into a position where he's at least able to step into the, the, the NHL lineup and, and, and hold his own at the very least. Um, even if he's not necessarily going to be a full-time top six or even top four D um, those guys are, they're, they're valuable. Right. And then they have some currency in terms of if you eventually want to move him somewhere, he could be, a, you know, another, you know, small piece in a, in a deal. So um, you can't go wrong developing players uh, like that. Uh, the more you do, and the Leafs have been pretty good at that. Uh, just the more flexibility you, you give yourself, the more options you have as a front office, and, uh, you know, obviously Mason Marchment's one of the biggest success stories. I mean, that was a player I, I didn't think had a shot at all, um, you know, to even maybe stick in the AHL and to see, see where he is now. Um, full credit goes to, to obviously to himself and, and as well to the Leafs development system. And, um, you know, he, he got away in, in a sense, but uh, he uh, certainly um, is indicative of, of that um that mentality, that that development philosophy that the Leafs have really put into place now for the better part of seven, eight years. Two more guys I want to talk, talk like touch on is uh, one of them is Nick Abruzzisi. I don't know if I, I find that whenever guys come out of college, and they get those couple games in NHL. It's easy, not easy, but it, you know it can happen where you look pretty good off the hop, 
and you get kind of in love with certain players and whatnot. And maybe like I, I liked what he brought with the Leafs last year. Not maybe the stick, but I thought saw flashes. With the Marlies this year, I think he's he's I don't think he's having a hard adjustment to being on the Marlies or, or the HL. He's not. Um, but I think that to me it's becoming more and more clear he's more of a fourth line player. And again, as we just said, nothing wrong with that. But I don't know. Part of me thought he could be a third line kind of player. Um, and now I, I, I'm more trying towards him thinking he's going to be a fourth line player. I like his ability. Um, as I think he's a smart player. I think he's, I think at best he is what the Leafs wanted Alex Kerfoot to be. And I say my words carefully because I know that Kerfoot has really struggled this year. But I think the similarity between the two is smart, responsible, Harvard degree, not a big deal. Um, and you know what you get from them and there'll always be a place for that. I think that as Steve's, Abruzzi and a lot of the, any four we mentioned, they've been, they've been leapfrogged by Pontus Helmberg and that's, that changes things, right? There's not many spots when one that was up is taken. I don't think he's gonna be sent down anytime soon. Um, that hurts those guys chances. And anyways, I think that Abruzzi is a fourth line guy and just, Quickly here, I want to touch on, before we wrap things up, Joe Wall, really interesting story. So, and I, and I in the press conference after, he talked about it a bit. He has been battling injuries big time. He got banged up, uh, innocent play. I believe it was a shoulder. I'm blinking right now. I knew this. I'm pretty sure it was a shoulder. And this is a guy, Joe Wall was a guy where he was one of the best goalies in college hockey. He signed his entry-level deal, joined the Leafs, hasn't really got that much runway. But in the games I've seen this year, he's been amazing for them. And I think that that's someone to keep an eye on in terms of the Leafs right now. It's going well, but they've got Samsov and Murray and just a bit more than Jack Campbell. And it's a good um, deal cap-wise, but there's not really a guy for the future there. I would put Joe Wall over Schalgren any day. And I think that he's someone you want to keep an eye on Leafs fans because I think you have, yeah, at the very least, a potential backup. And, you know, that's not fun either. But you never know. Backups, they then become starters. So Joe Wall is someone you want to keep an eye on. Um, I know Pat, of all people, knows about goalies being able to climb the ladder because funny story I'll end it off with here. I remember I had you on um, a podcast I used to host called Leafs on Deck, which I hosted with uh, current colleague Mike Stevens. And... No word of a lie, guys. I'll find the clip and I'll tweet it actually because this is legitimate. I asked Pat on the show, a, like a goalie to look out for in 2019. He said Jordan Bennington, and then he went on to to do what he did. So I gotta give you credit there, Pat. That was pretty nuts. Because I then I was like, oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And then like, <laughs> I remember being like, I remember watching the playoffs, being like, I've, I've heard this name before. And then I saw one of your tweets. And I was like, oh my god, like that's actually a pretty good call. So. I mean, you probably didn't know he used to be as much of a nut job as he is, but good call there, Pat. Yeah, he was a he was a little bit of a wild uh, wild presence in the AHL, um, which was kind of um, funny. You know, when when I saw you know comes up the NHL and everyone kind of started like, hey, this guy's pretty fiery. But yeah, he was that way. Um, he was a nut job. Um, I think that's what makes him work, right? Like uh, he needs that fire. Uh, he's actually you, you talked him off the ice is really calm guy uh, he's definitely intense you, you can definitely sense that but uh, uh Bennington was uh he was a really interesting development story he was a guy that you know looked like his career was going nowhere and then boom it took off and you know 
Central Ontario's winning the Stanley Cup. Absolutely. And in terms of uh, crazy goalies, I'll never forget the days of Mikel Burden. Uh, even Garrett Sparks had his uh, crazy days and never a dull moment in this league. But uh, for, for this week's show, we're going to sign off. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Happy to get into all the topics of the league. We, I mean, it's turned to a lengthy show and because a lot going on, honestly. But uh, yeah, until next time, guys.